can begin our class. Handouts, as always, in the back on the sound booth. And we will continue with our series on the Holy Spirit. I'll pray and ask for God's blessing on our time, and then we'll go from there. Our Father God, you have richly blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And you have redeemed us. You have forgiven our sins. You've made us reconciled to you. Us in eternal inheritance. And so much of our experience of this salvation comes through the pouring out of your Holy Spirit, the gift that you had promised through Jesus. And we thank you for this opportunity as the church, those who are united to Christ and to one another by your Spirit, that we can come together, come under your word, open up the scriptures, and hear about the the bountiful gift of life that you've given and continue to give every day in the Holy Spirit. We pray that you'd please give us by his ministry in our hearts the eyes to see, the ears to hear, uh, hearts that are malleable and able to be formed and shaped as you will by your word. Help me to be faithful and clear. Help us all to be reverent in our hearing of your word so that you would make us into the likeness of Christ. Help us to enjoy all that the Spirit is already doing in us, meaning to do that He's leading us into in holiness and righteousness and truth. May these things be sweet to us. May they be our desire. And may our lives be made more holy as a result of our study today. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are continuing through this series on the Holy Spirit. As we have looked at everything under this kind of this banner, which is the title of the series, The Lord and Life Giver. The Holy Spirit is the perfecter of all the shared works of the Trinity. Creation, providence, revelation of God's word indwelling. And last week, what did we talk about? Not last week. We didn't talk about anything in the coping hour last week, actually. It was Easter. We had a, a break from this series. But two weeks ago, what did we talk about the Holy Spirit's activity in? I know two weeks is a, is a long time. You did, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. I've, I've been in your seat. I know what it's like. We talked about the Holy Spirit's activity in conversion. The moment when we go from death to life, we go from darkness to light, and enter the kingdom of Christ. And all that happens in that, that moment, there's a big constellation of, of divine works happening in us is uniting us to Christ and bringing about regeneration and faith and so on. And uh, this week, we're looking at the whole Christian life and following that moment of conversion as the ongoing theater for the Spirit's life-giving operations. Uh, so we've had that moment in time of coming to faith, and now we're talking about the whole rest of our Christian life. And uh, we're focusing today on our individual lives. In future lessons, we're going to look more at, at the kind of the corporate dimension, which is very important, what the Spirit is doing in the church and in our relationships with one another, including ministry and gifts and things like that. Um, but today we're focusing more kind of on the individual aspect. And uh, we're going to look at several uh, broad groupings uh, of what the Spirit does, and kind of each one has sort of subcategories we'll walk through uh, as we go. And, uh, you know... As always with these things, for the sake of learning, we're going to sort of break these out as separate categories. But as I'm preparing and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through how to categorize this, I realize it's kind of artificial, right? Because these things all overlap each other. We're going to talk about the Spirit filling us, and then later we're going to talk about the Spirit making us holy. Well, 
it's really, those are not two separate things, but they're kind of distinct. We're going to kind of just, for the sake of learning, kind of break them apart, but just realizing these are all happening at once and they all kind of overlap each other. Um, But in each case, we're going to look not only at what the Spirit is doing in us, but at what we do in response. Um, And so Galatians 5.16, we're going to look at in a moment, tells us to walk by the Spirit. And uh, this is where the, the, the doctrine of kind of sanctification, the ongoing Christian life, is going to be different than what we talked about last time at conversion. Because conversion is not a let's cooperate with the Holy Spirit thing. Conversion is something the Holy Spirit does to us. We talked about regeneration being we're pretty passive recipients, like a baby being born. It's just something done to us. We were dead in sin. We hear the gospel. The Spirit uses the word and gives us new life. And voila, we have new life. He didn't give us, uh, like, which will it be? Do you want new life or not? We were spiritually dead. Um, and, of course, we, we believe, we have faith, but it's all by what he's doing in us. This, though, the Christian life, there is cooperation. There is um, walking by the Spirit or uh, uh, more of what's, what's called synergism, where we're working with the Spirit. He's working in us, but we are actually responding by working with him. And so we're going to look at each of these as what's the Spirit doing here, and then what, what are we doing in response to what he's doing. And the banner over all of it remains, the Spirit gives life. That's, uh, we see that, that comes directly, we talked about out of John 6.63. It also comes right out of 2 Corinthians 3.6, the Spirit gives life, he's the life giver. And um, so much of all these things we're looking at, the whole Christian life, we need to remember this isn't just isolated things, the Spirit does this, does that. He is working new life in us in Christ. And that's really, every bit of what we're going to talk about relates to that, again, kind of the, the hub of the wheel. So any questions or thoughts about that before we get into the, start looking into the details? Okay, let's talk about controlling and leading. And this item has not as much to do with what the Spirit is doing in us, but a little bit more like how he's working in us. What is the form that his influence takes? And the Bible uses different terms to describe the Spirit's control or leadership of believers in our hearts. One important term has to do with filling. The Spirit fills us. Uh, would someone be willing, this is kind of the classic text on this, you've probably heard of it, um, Ephesians 5.18. Would someone be willing to read Ephesians 5.18 for us? Speaking of filling, we, is there filling? No, no, never mind. That's, that's not the baptismal. Is that like static in the system? Okay. <laughs> I thought that was a baptismal getting filled. Yeah, Paul. 5.18. Mm-hmm. And do not get drunk with the wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, one thing to notice is that it's being contrasted in parallel with what? Being filled with alcohol. So there's something parallel about the way that he's saying, don't let this thing, what would alcohol, intoxication, drunkenness, what would it do to you? It would in some ways, kind of control you. It would take over your faculties. It would have a, a, it would affect your thinking. It would affect your behavior. And so there's something very, I think, very telling about that way that's contrasted, that the spirit is an alternative controlling influence in the way that drunkenness would be if you were to go that route, right? Which is don't go that route. Be filled with the spirit instead. It's, it's a controller influence. Now, um, is it appropriate? Now, let's think about this. Um, Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, 
You may remember in the, in the Matthew, Matthew Sermon on the Mount when he says, how much more, you know, you're evil, but you still, you'll give bread to your sons when they ask. How much more will your Father in Heaven give to those who ask Him? What does He say in Matthew? Give what? Do you remember this one? How much more will your Heavenly Father give? In Luke, it's the Spirit. In Matthew, it's good gifts to those who ask Him. And then in the Luke 11:13 version of the same text, He says, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Which is very interesting, the way of just putting those two together. But now, I want to ask you, you know, we learned about how at conversion, we are we are indwelt one time, boom, it's done forever. We're sealed with the Spirit irreversibly. Is it appropriate for Christians who have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit to keep asking for the Holy Spirit? Well, when Jesus tells disciples in Luke eleven thirteen, ask for the Holy Spirit, he'll give, he'll give you the Holy Spirit. Does he just mean one time? Is it appropriate to ask for the Holy Spirit ongoingly in the Christian life, especially in view of Ephesians five eighteen? Any thoughts? Yes? What, what do you think? Or why, why is that appropriate? Are we saying that the Holy Spirit does? So definitely first. Okay, so, so are you talking about being like someone who's carried about their wisdom doctrines that yeah. we're talking about? Okay, or, or uh, maybe you're talking about James. One, as someone who's double-minded and doesn't ask for wisdom, that may be what, yeah. But you need to ask, so that's a good point. You need to ask, ask. And both of them, it does say, uh, do not assume. So I, that's what, what mm-hmm. I thought, that to always ask for more for the Holy Spirit. Yeah, okay, good. So we, we were told to ask for what we need, so it seems like. Everything. Mm-hmm, everything, yeah, Emily. So growing in the love and knowledge of the Lord, you see there is these things, uh, there are different degrees of that, and and that's kind of different degrees of experiencing the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, Christina? Yeah, that, that prayer out of, um, that's out of Psalm 139, I believe. Yeah, let search me and know my heart, inviting. So essentially we're talking about inviting the Spirit to do the things the Spirit does. He searches, he cleanses, he keeps moving us on in holiness. And that's exactly right. This Ephesians 5.18 is a continual thing. It's not uh, at conversion, let him fill you, boom. Like He's not talking about indwelling. He's talking about ongoing influence, ongoing um, life-giving operations in us and if you look at you know what he keeps saying in ephesians 5 is you're singing to one another in psalms hymns and spiritual songs you're giving thanks it's 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 like the whole fabric of our christian life is be filled be filled continually by the spirit and so it's important to distinguish that on in in one sense we we're not questioning that the holy spirit's coming and going ultimately like we're not saying oh did he is he going to leave me and unindwell me. No, that's settled permanently. Everyone who is in Christ has the Spirit forever. But we still, there's a sense of wanting the Spirit's ongoing influence to keep on continuing and increasing in us. 
So there is a sense of I want more and more of what you mean to do in me, Holy Spirit. Um, so we need to, it's just important to have those two categories. We, we want more of the Holy Spirit. We should ask for more of the Holy Spirit, not as though he's leaving, but that he does, his influences wax and wane. They increase and decrease. Um, the next thing is that the Spirit leads. Uh, would someone read Romans 8.14? I'm sorry, Wes. Yeah. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So this is really, I think, the same basic idea, different metaphor as filling. It's, it's his leadership. And we're going to see in a moment, in the context of Romans 8.14, he's talking, he said that in verse 13 about by the Spirit putting to death the deeds of the flesh, sinful works. He's talking about not so much guidance, because we hear about the Spirit leading us, we might tend to think, oh, like, what, which job should I take? That kind of thing. Um, primarily, the, the, the accent here is on moral influence, leading us in a certain moral direction, namely to kill the deeds of the body and to bring to life the deeds of righteousness. So, uh, of course, that will have a guiding influence on us. That, that will affect life choices, certainly. But it's not so much leading us as simply a what, what, which door should I take. It's more of a what kind of person should I be. Uh, what, how the Spirit is leading us away from sin and toward righteousness. Um, same as that's the same idea as filling. He's just influencing more and more. He's he's controlling our lives more and more. Um, what do we do in response? Well, we've kind of talked about this already, but in response, we yield to His filling. Um, the, it's interesting. What, what <laughs> Paul's command to us is: be filled. Grammatically, that's a passive, right? It's, it's not fit. So active is filled. The Holy Spirit is, is responsible for that. Passive, our role is be filled, which kind of assumes that the Spirit is, is available to fill us, that he's trying to fill us, that he's trying to control us. And then our job is to what? Let him. Let him. Now, that doesn't mean uh, we're passive. The whole Christian life is passive, and we just sit back and may have heard let go and let God. That's not what the Bible teaches. But there is a sense in which the spirit as a Christian is pulling you in a certain direction. So, so to speak, you say, hoist up your sails and let him let that that wind of the spirit blow you toward holiness. He's seeking to do that. What are ways that we might not yield to him? What, what's the opposite? To better understand what this means, what would be the opposite? To resist, yeah. Indulge the flesh. Yeah, so if we just continue on in the opposite direction of where he's leading us, which is resisting him, we're, we're not letting him fill us. Yeah, rebelling and giving in to temptation. So these kinds of um, insisting on going the other way is actually, I'm kind of getting ahead because that's point E about grieving or quenching the spirit. Um, but actually, let's just talk about that right now. We'll get back to D. We'll, we'll circle back up to D. But let's talk about grieving and quenching. He says in Ephesians 4.30, just a few verses before, Ephesians 5.18, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So if uh, positively we want to let the Spirit fill and lead us, we want to yield to him, uh, then we resist his lead by going stubbornly in the way of sin. And it, this is actually a quote from Isaiah 63 where he's talking about the wilderness generation and how the Holy Spirit was 
moving Israel. He was leading them in the wilderness toward rest. And they resisted and they grieved the Holy Spirit. And we talked a lot about what they did in our contentment series recently, how they kept grumbling and they kept disbelieving. Um, all throughout, you see a lot of that in Exodus and Numbers. Uh, so that is an example of the kind of thing not to do. Grumbling with, with, with faithlessness, with distrust in the Lord, with discontentment, that kind of thing is what Paul says would grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not as though um, God is ultimately hurt or changed by our actions. He's God. Uh, but there is his, his love for us is so deep and true that his response to our sin is analogous to when, when we're hurt uh, by, by others. We're, we're, we're grieved. And then the first Thessalonians 5.19 is a very similar. It's, there, there the metaphor is like a fire, a flame of fire being put out, being quenched, saying don't put out the, 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 the fire. The Holy Spirit is meaning, again, to have a certain presence, to have a certain controlling influence. Don't douse that flame with resisting him, with stubbornness in sin. Um, any thoughts about, we're going to get back to keeping in step, but any thoughts about those things or questions? Yeah, Paul. And is it so different than ours, right? There's a cultural um, interest in being controlled by substances and, and being giving ourselves over to basically just pleasure and um, and saying no, that's that's a, that's an intoxication of an entirely different different kind. So, there, I mean, that's another thing too. Of what are we giving ourselves over to in terms of influences, uh, whether substances or other things of that nature, that those could inhibit. Letting the spirit control and dominate us. Yeah, good point. Other thoughts? Oh, yeah, Don. It seems to me sort of strange in a way, you know, like when the children left Egypt mm -hmm. and they'd seen all the miracles and then they start get, started getting the law. Mm -hmm. They weren't—they uh, weren't even thinking about that. Or, you know, you said these stiff-necked. Yeah. They're, uh, you know, we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. Well, that means we better think about it occasionally. That we are filled with the Spirit. Yeah. And, and to totally ignore that seems—it seems sort of strange. You know. Yeah. You, you wonder how. Were they actually, you know, were they pre-programmed uh, pre to sort of ignore that? Or, yeah. what, you know, why were they ignoring it? Why were they so resistant so yeah, early? Why, why the they, well, it, you know, it, yeah. it, we should, you almost mentally have to think about that as we go through the day. That, mm -hmm. You know, is that the kind of thing that I'm supposed to be doing or saying? You know, yeah. And if we don't do that. Yeah. Where we're ended up just where they were. Yeah, well, it's, and the, it's got, the biblical picture for that is they had hearts of stone. And the law bounces off of hearts of stone like, like a hard surface, right? Like a basketball on a, on a wood floor. 
but hearts of flesh. That's what the spirit actually in the new covenant ministry of the spirit is to give us a kind of heart that absorbs the law and the law has an impact and reshapes our hearts so that we do that kind of thing. We, we go about our day more conscientious of this. And again, the spirit is in us pulling us a certain direction. We're more conscientious of pleasing the Lord or wanting to not grieve the Lord. Are these kinds of things that without the new covenant, the new heart, the indwelling spirit, we, we don't have that capability naturally. So that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Annalie. I had a question on the first Thessalonians five. Uh-huh. to make it sound like uh, are you're, you're concerned that we take that as though we have too much power over what the Holy Spirit is doing I, I, I kind of hear you saying that and yeah no that's a good every metaphor has its limits and I think just using this quenching metaphor it is a metaphor and so you, you could take it too far and you could make it sound like we're sovereign over the Holy Spirit right and, and it's good to guard against that I would say quenching sounds more active like what we can do can more actively block what the spirit means to do in us. Of course, he's sovereign. He can, you know, he has the ability to overcome that. But still, this is very different than conversion. Christians, oh, we should feel this weight of, I could really inhibit the sanctifying work the spirit means to do in me. I could really mess it up. Um, that doesn't mean I'm beyond redemption. I mean, there's always forgiveness in Christ. There's always there's no condemnation in Christ. But I, I do think that 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 active picture of you could pour a bucket of water on the, Holy, on the flame of the Holy Spirit is, I think that should push us a little bit to go, wow, I could really, and the, whole, and the more as we study in this course, what a gift and blessing the life giver is in dwelling us. What, like, what has God done in giving us his Holy Spirit? The thought of going, Psh, let, let me throw a bucket of water on the, that should horrify us. Be like, how could I do things that would stiff arm the Holy Spirit? Um, and, and yeah, so I don't know if that's helpful. But yeah, Blake. Piggyback on Annalise's comment or question. Um, I think it's good to think of sanctification as this positional, mm-hmm. which we have no power over because yeah. it happens at the moment of conversion mm-hmm. when we're justified because of Christ's work on the cross. But progressive sanctification, even our, even if we quench or have a tendency to quench the spirit in some way, that's still under God's sovereignty. Yeah. So it's not like we determine this and that. Ultimately, in a wide lens, God is sovereign over everything. Mm-hmm. And in a smaller lens, I think it's good to think of God as working in us, but our sin and quenching the spirit, which we don't obviously do deliberately, mm-hmm. is still under God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. So, God's sovereignty over us and even guiding that quenching is under the wider lens. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, it is important to recognize God's sovereignty over all things. And 
I think that the positional versus progressive distinction we've made uh, the last couple of weeks is important too, like you said, because we have this sense of we're not saying the Holy Spirit will ever ultimately be and we'll become, we'll de-saint ourselves. But then there's a sense of, well, are you going to enjoy it? Are you going to experience it? Or are you going to resist it? And so on. So for the sake of time, I need to keep going. Sorry. I, sorry, I saw. And this is a good discussion, but we, we do need to keep working. I'm going to uh, be real brief on keeping in step with the Spirit. We're going to talk about this. This is a really cool metaphor from Galatians 5, 16, and 25. To keep in step with or walk with the Spirit. And I think it's, it's, it's a cool metaphor in that it conveys both leadership and cooperation. Like you're the dog that the Holy Spirit is walking, so stay stay next to him. Don't pull ahead. Don't go off after squirrels. But no, there's a clear leader saying, walk with the Spirit. He's walking toward holiness. Stay with him. But then you have a role, right? Stay with him. Um, so that's, that's the way he's working in us. Let's talk about what he does more. And this, this is our second major heading, transformation into Christ-likeness. If he's leading us, he's filling us in a certain uh, direction, certain influence, what is that? And we've talked about it already. It's what we call sanctification, the whole Christian life, growing in the holy quality of our lives. Of course, not positional sanctification. We were saints on day one when we believed, but we are now, the real condition of our lives comes to gradually resemble that status that we have in Christ of holiness. Um, we could also just summarize the whole thing as being transformed into the image of Christ. This comes out of Places like 29, that he uh, predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Remember, man was made in the image of God, and Adam fell into sin and distorted, morally distorted that image. Christ is the new Adam who restores that image. So in Christ, united to Christ, as we are being uh, made more like him morally, in, our, in terms of the quality of our lives, we become more and more like just what God meant for us mankind to be. Um, righteous and holy and truthful. Um, so I'll refer you again to the last time when we learned about union with Christ, sort of the, the center of everything in our conversion is uniting us to Christ. All of what Christ has done in the gospel, all of who Christ is, become ours. Uh, all of his righteousness, all of his holiness, and, and so on. And, and what we bring is sin. We, we And that becomes Christ, and that's what we bring. Um. So this is what is going on still in the ongoing Christian life is a union with Christ uh, being expressed more and more in likeness to Christ. So, uh, of course, what one, first thing this means is the spirit produces Christ-like virtue in us. Um, would someone be willing to read uh, a famous passage on this, Galatians 5, 23, 23? So if we were to ask, wants to lead us. What's he leading us toward? And then we answer with Josh, who's going to read. Galatians 5, 22, 23. isn't the exclusive list. If you look throughout scripture, there's other qualities too. Um, but a 
essentially the spirit of Jesus makes us like Jesus when he controls us. And uh, now this is a, a vegetative metaphor. This is plants growing. Is there anything we've seen so far in this series that, that resonates with this idea of the spirit producing um, a crop, a yield of a, of a crop, growing things, growing? This is spring, which is where these plants grow. Some of you may be planting seeds in your garden and so on. Anything, any, any like things that, that are resonating with what we've studied already? They use this picture of growth, of, of plants growing and like, a, you know, there's a, a desert and suddenly there's water flowing and it, it becomes this flourishing oasis as what the promise of the Holy Spirit is. And we talked about the Spirit creation, right? And how the world was formless and void before the Spirit did what? In, the, in those first those six days of creation in, in Genesis 1, 2, the world was formless and void and, and the Spirit is hovering. And what did the Spirit bring about? Order in life. Yeah, he, he, he made it formed and filled. And so all the beauty of creation, all the plants of the Garden of Eden and all this stuff, this is the spirit working in the created world. And that, one of the reasons I wanted to emphasize that is because this becomes a paradigm throughout. If you look at the whole kind of the way the biblical canon flows, this becomes the picture that new creation imagery starts to use. Again, you see like in Isaiah, the promise of the spirit. He's not promising that the spirit will... Um, make your backyard, you know, grow, flourish, is talking about these, like, ethical things, like you, will, like, righteousness and peace and joy will sprout up when the Spirit is poured out on you. Uh, Isaiah 32 and 44 are places I've referenced. And so when we come to the New Testament, we see, and so, yeah, all these places, like, again, Psalm 1 is another place. The Spirit isn't mentioned, but the Word is, the law, but it's the same idea. It's like you're rooted in this life-giving influence, and it just produces this, this durable beautiful life that, that, that keeps on growing. And so that's the picture that Paul is drawing on the Spirit, that when there's fruit being born, this is, this is an old story by now for the Holy Spirit. Fruit comes out when the Spirit is out. So I just love that image to think about it. Like, a, you know, we're getting into the season where you can't, you can't do anything to stop the growth of the plants. It's your yard. They're just like growing like crazy, especially getting into the summer. But that's what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. like virtues, love, joy, peace, kindness, etc. Yeah. I want to compare, can you compare uh, this Galatians 22, 5, 22, 23, when you talk about the Spirit produces Christ-like virtue, can you compare that to 2 Peter 1, uh-huh. where it says, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, apply moral excellence, any moral, you know, yeah, you yeah. add on. There's is that the same thing you're talking about here, yeah. or is that something different? No, it's the same idea. The Second Peter one, he goes through this chain of virtues. I would say of what what your what uh, his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and then he he, he goes on with these 
yeah, this chain of self-control, steadfastness. That's the exact same kind of thing I'm talking about, yeah. Um, and then he ends by speaking of fruit. In verse 8, he says, If these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so absolutely. I would say one of the all things he's granted to us is the Holy Spirit unto this end of, of making us fruitful in these virtues. So, yeah, um, the, yeah, exactly. Short answer is yes. That's another good parallel passage. The Spirit isn't mentioned there, but his work is very clearly alluded to. Let's go on and talk about the, the Spirit, and we'll be quick on this, the Spirit sanctifying. There's a number of places where the Spirit's ongoing work is talked about as sanctification, which we've talked already even today about what that means. It's, um, there's that point of you're made holy in Christ, and then you start being holy in your actual uh, progressively growing and being holy as the spirit of holiness works progressively in our lives. The point C would be the spirit granting wisdom. This is really a subset of A, of the Christ-like virtue of what does the spirit produce in us? Everything that we see in Jesus. And one of, uh, one of I talk about this passage a lot because I love it so much, is uh, Isaiah 11, 1 to 3, this, uh, this uh, shoot from the stump of Jesse, which is clearly a messianic prophecy, who will sprout up and the spirit of the Lord will be upon him and the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and counsel and the, the fear of the Lord. So what we see is the spirit comes on the Messiah and the Messiah explodes with the, and it's a vegetative, it's a plant metaphor, a sprout. This is all, all throughout the Bible. And what does he explode with? Wisdom, knowledge, the fear of the Lord. This is all like Proverbs language. And so this is what the spirit produces in Christians, just like this is what the spirit produced in Jesus, And you see places like Acts 6.3, you may be familiar, they're trying to figure out there's a sticky ministry issue, and they, this is really where we believe the ministry of deacons kind of come from. Uh, they're like, let's pick some, some godly dudes that can help solve this issue so it doesn't distract the apostles from the ministry of the word. And so what kind of men do they ask for in, in Acts 6.3? Men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And um, I, I believe in, in the context of texts like Isaiah, we should understand the spirit and wisdom as not two totally isolated categories, right? But really the spirit who gives wisdom, full of wisdom because full of the spirit, so to speak. Um, and so again, we, we've alluded to this issue of guidance before. Um, and, and guidance, how, how we think about the spirit guiding us is a little bit more complex than simply we, uh, when we talk about revelation, I discouraged thinking about it in terms of the Holy Spirit told me to do X, Y, or Z in kind of revelatory language because we do want to protect the scripture as a unique, uh, re God revealing his word is a unique thing. But moving, I think, into the register of wisdom is very helpful for thinking through this. The Spirit does guide us. He does um, help us choose between door A and door B, so to speak, with life decisions. Um, but it's, how does it affect that kind of way of thinking about life decisions and whatever as we're thinking about it in terms of the Spirit giving us wisdom rather than the Spirit telling me door A or door B? Does that make sense? How, how, is that a different, how does that change the way we think about these things? Yeah. Uh, it focuses your thoughts more on eternity and not on this world. Okay. So instead of simply what's this decision in front of me, Wisdom uh, is going to be a reference to broader interests, eternal interests. How does it glorify God? And then, of course, the cornerstone of wisdom in Proverbs is the fear of the Lord. So it's going to be somehow rooted in how, how, do I, how am I responding to who God is? Yeah, that's a good point. Very well said. 
Any other thoughts on how it affects how we go about life? Yeah. Pastor, that's why it's, again, why it's so important to read the Word, because the read the, by reading the Word, that transforms your thinking. Yeah. Okay, when your thinking is transformed, because by your thinking, that controls your actions. Yeah. So if your thinking is controlled by the Spirit, then your actions, it's not necessarily going to tell you, i got to go to College A or College B, but it's going to put you in the right frame of mind right. to be able to, okay, this is the best. Yeah. This is glorifying to God, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's going to, we're going to see that too. It's going to all work the Spirit using the Word to inform our minds and inform the things we love. So, yeah, instead of, I should, should I go to this college or that college, it's simply kind of more of a mechanical decision. It turns into, we more and more become the kind of people who love the right things, who love the things that Jesus loves and who want the kinds of things Jesus would want. And then we look at these things, we break them down to different kind of priorities. We say, well, the, well, you know, we ask different questions. We ask questions with regard to how can we glorify God, like, like um, Randy said. Uh, we care more about uh, serving others and serving ourselves, things of that nature, yeah. So, yeah, it all is going to go hand in hand with the word. Yeah, Christy. Uh, so I understand what you're saying with that, um, but then I know a lot of times when you'll hear pray for open doors, and mm-hmm. we've done that ourselves. Mm-hmm. Is that wrong to do that? Yeah, pray for open doors. That's a, that's a uh, metaphor that comes out of Acts, because Paul says, God closed the door, or I think the Holy Spirit closed the door of the ministry. They couldn't go one direction. No, I think um, it just depends on what we're praying for, but I think it's le- legitimate. Like, for instance, there are godly desires that we don't know how is this going to actually happen, right? We have, we have these, like, vague godly desires, but, like, what's this going to, how is this going to translate into action? We might pray for God to give opportunities, like evangelism. Like, I want to share the gospel with people, but I, I need to, like, mix with non-believers. I need to get into situations where I can have a conversation. Well, I think that's a good example of praying for the Spirit to open a door, but that desire is guided by a broader biblical interest, again, that's consistent with the direction the Holy Spirit is meaning to lead us. So, yeah, Christine. And it also acknowledges God when he closes doors. And yeah. Kind of in the sense of, like, like, you know, sometimes we do have a choice, and sometimes we think we have a choice until it's very clear mm. that there's only one direction for us yeah. to walk in. And um, even if that wasn't our original plan, and for us to have that joy and that peace and that trust in that moment that God mm-hmm. is directing our path, yeah. even um, when when it's not a, you know it's like it almost feels like an inactive choice or something mm-hmm. that's bigger than us to figure out the the wisdom and the, the yeah. steps to ma- make it. It's 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 um it's that joy in knowing that He is sovereign over yeah. our doors open and our doors closed. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, it helps us relate to his his sovereignty over the doors that aren't open, yeah. Good point. Let's keep uh, going and talking about the Spirit fulfilling the moral demand of the law. It won't be too long here, but uh, Galatians 5.14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. At the end of the Fruit of the Spirit passage, he said, there's no law contrary to this. But it's, it's kind of, so Galatians and Romans are very big on the fact that Christ has removed the law as a condemning and enslaving power, but the the law still morally guides us toward God's will, especially the Ten Commandments. It seems to be um, a kind of a universal expression of God's moral will. And uh, and so, Paul, it's astounding. If you read through Galatians, it is amazing how at 514 he's like, because he's like, we're not justified by works of the law. He's pounding his drum over and over. It's a different gospel if you're, you know, if you 
For justified by works of the law, the law, the law. 514 goes, oh, if you love each other, you fulfill the whole law. <laughs> and it's like, why do you say it that way, Paul? It sounds like you're undermining everything you've said up to this point, but he's not. What he's saying is, the law still is a guide toward, toward righteousness. But instead of keeping the law as law, simply as a, uh, it's like a schoolmaster that kept us before Christ, kept us sort of bound, um, he's saying the spirit, if you walk by the spirit, you'll do every righteous thing that the law called you to do, but you'll do it in a different way. You'll actually be empowered to do it by the spirit. Um, and it all will revolve around your love. It'll all revolve around love. He says, uh, if you love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so, in, in essence, every good thing the law pointed us to, the Spirit will fulfill in us. Um, it's sort of like if you are paying a mortgage, you are also paying for homeowner's insurance, aren't you? Uh, you're not sending, well, unless you opt to do this, you're not sending a check to the insurance company. You're sending a check to your mortgage company, and they're taking care of it. So, it's like by, by paying that mortgage, you are doing that and more, if that, if that makes sense. It's not a perfect illustration. <laughs> it's very limited. But you don't have to worry about paying in or paying taxes, right? You, no matter what they send you, the, the county, don't pay that tax because we'll take care of it. Uh, it's like that, kind of. <laughs> Let's talk about then the next thing the Spirit does is the Spirit combats Satan in these last days. Uh, this is that whole armor of God passage in Ephesians 6. Um, because we're just told that we are... Uh, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of the present darkness. So Satan is our real enemy. His demons are our real enemies. Uh, that's really where our fight is not against man. Uh, if man's opposing us, they're simply pawns in Satan's schemes. Um, but what he says to do, there's all the famous passage about the breastplate of righteousness, etc. beautiful passage. But toward the end, he starts talking about the Holy Spirit. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is, does anyone remember, what is the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So the Bible presents our current era as the last days. It's a time of conflict between the old age, which is the, the age of Satan and sin and death, and the new age, which is the age of life to come. We're in the overlap of the ages. We're waiting for it to be only life and, and uh, the, the kingdom of God. But now we're in this conflict, which we wage outside of ourselves and inside of ourselves and so much of the power the weaponry of christian warfare is the spirit the spirit needs to use the word in us and then we we fight by praying in the spirit so the spirit is given to um you know there's all these different metaphors we're on a journey or we're growing we have this this growth this vegetation but warfare is another one of them the spirit is in us to fight to fight against satan's temptations as they would affect our hearts and so on what did jesus do you know the holy spirit came on him at his baptism we talked about what did he do next it was the first thing he did with the holy spirit in wilderness to do what to pray what happened in the wilderness temptation he battled satan that was a war that was a spiritual war he went to the wilderness and battled satan he faced temptations he overcame them with the sword of the spirit the word of god and he overcame. And that's the paradigm. For that's what the Spirit means to do in us, uh, just like the Spirit who first was, was upon Jesus. Um, another way we respond is we let faith work through love. Um, and this, in terms of, oh, actually, that's our first response. So we haven't talked about our response. We let faith work through love. Uh, Galatians, 
I want to first read Galatians 3, verses 2 and 3. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So, you know, a lot of times we wonder about the Christian life. Like, how do I actually do it? What do I do to advance, to grow, to be sanctified? And, and sometimes that question, we want a little bit more of a formulaic answer than the Bible gives us. We want a method. We want, like, what's, you know, what's on my plate for 8 a.m. on Monday? The Bible doesn't give us answers like that. But what I would say is the how-to, the, the, the firmest, most central how-to the Bible gives us is faith. And Galatians is so big on this. It's faith. He's saying, you received the Spirit like this whole conversion event happened through what? Through faith. And then now, are you, are you going to turn that off, turn away from faith to some other means of advancing in the Christian life? That's what he's challenging the Galatians. So the, the Holy Spirit and faith came hand in hand in conversion. And what he's saying is, the Holy Spirit and faith will continue hand in hand throughout the whole course of your Christian life as you move to completion. And, and similarly, he says in, in chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. I can think of no better description of the Christian life, the journey, the battle uh, of sanctification than faith working through love. And uh, what happens is as we fix our faith on Christ, this leads to a response that is characterized by love. And all of our actions as Christians will, be, will stem from rightly ordered loves, loving the right things. That's basically what determines everything we do is what we love. So if we, uh, faith will, by the Spirit, will change our loves and that will change who we are, what kind of things we do. Um, so we're going to look... So we may ask, okay, if faith, the, the Spirit's working in us, faith working through love, what are we believing? What does faith do? And the answer brings us to the next point, which is we behold Jesus' glory. Would someone be willing to read 2 Corinthians 3.18? A very, very important text for, uh, for the progressive sanctification of the Christian life. Yeah, Wilson. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Thank you. So dense, beautiful verse, but we are we're beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus, which is faith. And as we do that, we're being transformed into the image we behold. And what does this come from? What, what, how does that happen? That we behold, we become like the one we behold. This all comes from what? The Lord who is the Spirit. So the Spirit is the one who transforms us into the likeness of Christ as we behold Christ. Again, I, 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 I shouldn't say this too many times, but I can think of hardly any better way to summarize sanctification than that. We behold the, the glory of Christ, and the Spirit makes us like Christ as we do that. Uh, and this is faith, right? Because faith is not an abstract activity. Faith grabs hold of something. And so Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 3, that faith that works through love, that's faith that is looking at Jesus' glory and trusting him, believing the one that we look at, and that beholding turns into transformation. That, I think, yeah, I think he's talking glory to glory is, is like degrees of glory, from one degree of glory to another. I think some translations do that. I have, admittedly, haven't deep-dived that, but I believe that's what it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, good question. And then this kind of implies yet another thing. This thing's all kind of domino, right? You kind of have to go, well, well, how do we behold the glory of Jesus? We don't see him in front of us. He's in heaven. He's been ascended. How do we look at the glory of Christ? Any answers? Anyone want to look at the next sub point? In the <laughs> and we devote ourselves to God's word. Yeah. Were you going to say something, Randy, about that? Oh, yes, we do see the glory of God in creation. And having been made new in the spirit, we can better appreciate it. And that can turn to worship. The specific glory of Christ, the Redeemer, we see in, in the scriptures, right, in special revelation. Um, so there's definite spiritual value in looking out at creation. The Bible definitely endorses that with, with the eyes of faith and with, with the heart of worship. Uh, the transformation into Christ's likeness, we look at Jesus by faith when we look at scriptures. The scriptures which are the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Um, the Spirit is using faith to drive our, our love, and he uses that, that renewed love to drive all of our righteous behavior as Christians. The object of that faith is Jesus as presented to us in the scriptures, which is why the word of God is so important for our transformation. It's not simply read these words and you'll change, right? It's, it's more, there's more of a, these words reveal a person, and it's by looking at this person by faith that the Spirit changes us. That's why... We, are, we want to center our public corporate worship on the word. That's why we want to center our private worship on the word. And it's so valuable. Like Patty talked about Psalm 1, the person who's meditating day and night on the law um, is seeing Jesus. In the whole canon, what this means is you're seeing Jesus and you're being transformed by the spirit. Any thoughts or questions about the kind of last few items we've, we've run through? Okay. Um, the next thing is we kill the flesh. Romans eight thirteen. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So there's positive direction with the Spirit. Look at Christ. Behold Him by faith. Let that work itself out in love. Negatively, we say no to the desires of the flesh, the works of the flesh. Now, when Paul uses flesh, he's not saying our bodies in themselves are bad at all. He's not saying that. But he's saying he uses this term to describe this old. There's a new you in, in the new creation. There's an old you that's still around. And uh, Paul uses the flesh to describe that. And uh, there is a battle between the flesh and the spirit. He's saying you have to not only say yes to the spirit, but you know the flesh. The flesh has certain directions. It's trying to pull you. Um, and again, this is, this is just the, the spiritual life is one of cooperation with the Holy Spirit. It's not passive. Um, he is actively leading, so we do, again, there's a sense of yielding to him, but it's also active on our part, because we've got to do some saying no, we've got to do some self-denial, and uh, we have to do some uh, cutting away of certain things um, that will, that would, if we were to let them keep going in our lives, they would cause us to quench and grieve the spirit. So we have to say no to him. Yeah, Jeff. Mm-hmm. We would be with those, you know, yelling "Crucify him to Christ," but for the but for the grace of God and for the Spirit indwelling. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm teaching in next in the kids' hour next door. I'm Stephen. Yeah. And I was thinking about that. Just the differences, the Holy Spirit empowering Stephen, where when he's confronted with 
the cross and Christ, mm-hmm. he he responds with mercy, you know, mm-hmm. to forgive them. And but when the the leaders in Saul are confronted with the cross and Christ, they're outraged and they go to stone him. Like, just, yeah, I was I was just wow. kind of struck by that about yeah. how the Holy Spirit and power meant. And I was thinking about Pastor Greg saying at the same time. Yeah, well, this, that's that's the evidence of what the Spirit does. And when you're talking about you know, we're beholding Jesus' glory. What our yeah. response to that glory is is so clearly the Spirit <laughs> changing yeah. us. Because it's just, it, the contrast was so stark as I was studying it. This that is true. And it's funny, St- Philip is one of those, pe- Stephen is one of those people said to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom um, in that lead up to that mm-hmm. event. And you see that, yeah, he's full of mercy. He beholds Christ. <laughs> Literally, like he sees this vision of Christ. But but also, he's full of he's he's being persecuted. He's full of mercy and faithfulness, which is so much. I think why Acts has that story in there is it's a paradigm of this is the way the Spirit leads the church to suffer under under satanic persecution. Yeah. Last point on this, I'll be real brief. Is just that we we adopt a godly mindset. So a lot of where this battle is, care of our minds. What are we dwelling on? Um, you could behold Christ's glory uh, for an uh, you know. During the sermon on Sunday, you could come to everything on Sunday, equipping hour, corporate worship, evening, and then you could read your Bible 15 minutes every morning, and then the whole rest of your day, you're you're dwelling on resentment, grumbling, sexual fantasies, selfish ambition. Are you going to be transformed? The answer is no. These times in the Word should have a uh, these meditate. It should kind of overflow in meditations on things that are. A sanctifying things that are good, things that are righteous, and the Spirit is working in us to to reshape the landscape of our our minds throughout our day, throughout the fabric of our lives. Um, that 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 beholding of Christ should should have an impact on the kinds of things that we we think about. It's really we talked about this in the contentment series, but what you spend your time meditating on will basically be who you are. Um, so that's a lot of where sanctification happens. Um, let's move on and um, talk about another th- major heading. The Spirit communicates assurance and joy. So he doesn't just change our character and conduct. It's so much more. His very presence brings home the life of God to us. We have fellowship with God in the gospel. God is blessed, the blessed God who is fully happy in himself. And to know him and to be in fellowship with him is to know indescribable comfort and peace and assurance. And uh, so much of the Spirit's work in us is to communicate these experiences to us in God. So one of the things the Spirit does in in A is he communicates God's fatherly love. And we already read um, Romans 8, 13 and 14 in various contexts, but I'll read 15 and 16 now. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So in the gospel, we're forgiven in Christ, we're, we're cleansed, but so much more we're brought into the family of God, adopted as children. And it's not, God's not satisfied merely to make that so objectively by the work of Christ. That would be enough to, to overwhelm us with the, the grace he's pouring out. But it's so much more. He's like, I don't want to just do that for them. I want the Spirit in them telling them that I've done that for them. I want the spirit in your heart convincing you that that is your new status, that I'm your father. And so the spirit, the Holy Spirit is the, the one given us to convince us that God is our father. And, and so that we cry out, Abba, Father. He bears witness that we're children of God. Um, that's amazing that, that he, God cares not only that we have this blessing, but that we know it. 
that we would actually experience it and feel a certain way about him. We would feel comforted and assured in him. That Abba Father, of course, is a quote of Jesus. He said that in the garden in, in Mark 14.36. And Paul is quoting that uh, as Jesus is in agony in the garden praying to his father in distress. Paul is saying the spirit is given to you so that you can call out to God the Father like Jesus did. Because Jesus has given you the spirit that he had. The, who caused Jesus to say Abba Father? The spirit. And the same spirit of Jesus is in you. And uh, one implication right there in verse 15 is that it banishes fear. Uh, we're not, uh, it's not a spirit of slavery to fear, but a spirit of adoption, this boldness, this assurance and security in the presence of God. That's what the spirit means to produce in us. Um, very similarly, again, these are not hard distinctions, very overlappy, but the next one is the spirit multiplies life and joy in us. Jesus says in John seven thirty eight, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And in John, that's abundant life. That's eternal life. The, the rivers of living water. It's his joy, peace, abundance. And uh, this is what the lead and filling of the Holy Spirit is causing to emerge from our lives. It may begin as a trickle. And as we mature in Christ and as we, we let the Spirit fill us more and more, what should be coming out is more and more of this joy, security, abundance, assurance, um, in fact, joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit we heard about back in Galatians 5. Uh, people sometimes are said to rejoice in the Holy Spirit, like in, Jesus does that in John 10, 21. Um, I think Paul and Barnabas do that. Somebody does it in Acts 13, 52. So uh, the Spirit causes Jesus to rejoice, and then later on, the Spirit causes um, Christians to rejoice. Um, he perfects our experiencing of the joy of knowing God. It is a joyful thing to know God. And who brings that, the experience of that joy home to us? The Holy Spirit. So basically, any time we're enjoying God, the Spirit is, is bringing that about. He, that's his perfecting work. Not only that we objectively partake of the gifts of the gospel, but that we know them by experience and that we, we, we bask in them, we feel them. That's what the Spirit does in us. It's pretty cool, huh? Isn't it good to have the Holy Spirit? <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, and similarly, this is, again, a very similar idea is that he assures us of salvation. We talked in the uh, conversion two weeks ago, we talked about the spirit as a seal or earnest or down payment who assures us that the whole rest of the uh, package of, of eternal glory is coming. That Christ won for us in redemption. And uh, that sealing is a one-time thing. That is moment of conversion. Boom, you got that wax stamp. Boom, you belong to me. You're going to get the whole package deal of glory with Christ and, and and yet, the ongoing effect of that one-time sealing is ongoing assurance. The Holy Spirit means for us, because he, his presence is that seal, is to keep on renewing that sense of, I belong to God. I belong to Christ. He saved me. Very similar to what we said about sonship, right? Because that's the fruit of the gospel is, I belong to God as a, as a child of God. It's similar to say, I, I, I've been saved in Christ. Uh, that is the work of the Holy Spirit by his very presence in us. So I'll even say paradoxically, sometimes our grief over sin can be a means of assurance because the spirit is convicting and we're going, ouch, I hate my sin. This is so frustrating. Well, that's the spirit cutting and resisting against the flesh. That's the battle, the war of spirit versus flesh. And we can rest assured. Well, I'm glad the spirit's making me hate my sin so much. Um, I'm glad that, 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 uh, that, that seems like evidence that I belong to God. 
Yeah, what was that? Yes, yes. And, uh, and then sometimes when we see ourselves having matured and grown and putting away sin, that's incredibly encouraging as well that the Spirit is in us. Any thoughts about all these things about the Spirit does in us in terms of assurance and joy? Yeah. I, just want, I want to go back to Romans 8 real quick. Yeah. Uh, when you're talking about, uh, I think it's in uh, 8, 8.15, because again, the context that Paul was talking about the Roman Christians, mm-hmm. slavery was very uh, evident in that culture. Yes, it was. And, they, and he was saying, he was saying, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. That was transformative to those people because they're so fearful of slavery mm-hmm. because it was their culture. Yeah. So. Yeah, slavery was a very, yeah, very ever-present element to their culture. That's a good point to bring out. Yeah. Um, what a contrast. Yeah. The, the, what do we do in response? Well, we, we learn our privileges in the gospel. I mean, part of this is, so you don't, you don't have to know about the doctrine of adoption to experience the spirit of adoption in your heart. But one thing I'll say is, he's doing this on day one of your salvation. But once you start learning these doctrines from the scripture, you start learning about all this very grace that God has poured out on you in Christ, you begin to appreciate and notice these things better, don't you? You go, that is true. The spirit is, the spirit of adoption is working in me, giving me this sense of belonging to God, this sense of um, assurance in God's presence. And so uh, we can work with the spirit by just studying and learning these things of what, what we do have, our privileges in the gospel, and, and kind of giving him grist for the mill, so to speak. Like we learn all this stuff and let, let him use that to assure us, let him use that to hit us with, wow, how good it is to be in Christ. Uh, and then finally, in terms of our response, is just to we receive assurance. Again, this is kind of passive, but it's kind of a decision that we have to make. Um, in his classic work on communion with the triune God, John Owen talks about how knowing each person's mode of operation, we talked about the indivisible divine works, but each person has their sort of mode of the Father as the initiator and the Son as the mediator and the Spirit as the perfecter. It says, if you know those things, what that points to is a distinct way of communing with each person, a distinct, a distinct way of relating to and enjoying the work of each person. And so if the Spirit is the life giver who applies all of these rich salvific blessings that Christ won for us, how do we honor and commune with him in that work? We just receive it. Like we receive it with soft hearts, with trust. He's meaning to assure us, so be assured. Trust what he's doing. Trust his assurance that God is your father. And that assurance is meant to draw us closer to God. Of course, we're going to talk about in prayer in just a moment, worship and prayer. But don't resist. We can, we can resist that and be like, oh, no, but I'm, I'm too sinful. Oh, no, but how could God ever? But believe. Again, this is not inconsistent with the words of Scripture. It's very consistent with the words of Scripture. But bringing, he's bringing it home to you. You receive that. It doesn't honor God to be like, oh, yeah, but I'm, I'm so sinful. I, I don't really believe it. That dishonor, that actually grieves the Holy Spirit to disbelieve his assurances of God's fatherly love to you. Um, so receive it. Be assured. Um, and then, like I already mentioned, what is the Spirit doing and assuring us and giving us joy? He's drawing us back to God. It's not just we're out on an island being feeling good. It's to draw us back to God in worship. Um, and the, the first thing he does is intercede for us. And we won't look deeply at this for the sake of time, but Romans eight twenty six and 27 says the Spirit intercedes for us 
in our weakness. We don't know what to pray as we ought. The Spirit intercedes for us. Um, and that's an encouragement. Sometimes in our, in our Christian life, we're so confused, we're so weak, we don't know what to ask, for, what to ask God for. The Spirit is in us, involved in this intra-Trinitarian communication for, on our behalf. But also the Spirit, it's not just that. It's not just uh, he's praying for us. He's also in us to draw us to worship God in prayer. So the Spirit induces us to worship. We're, we, we hear about, like in Jude 20, uh, 21 to, I guess, 20, uh, praying in the Holy Spirit. You see that elsewhere, Ephesians 2.18 and Ephesians 6.18. Um, in Philippians 3.3, 3, he says, we worship by the Spirit of Christ. Uh, Christians worship by the Spirit of Christ. Um, he's the one who stirs our hearts and draws us near to God in worship. Uh, the, the Son is the mediator by whom we worship, but we would never even draw in the direction of the throne if the Spirit weren't in us, moving us Godward. With that, again, that assurance of salvation, that, that certainty of belonging to God and being redeemed in Christ. And then we go, I want to go toward God. I want to approach the throne of grace with boldness to find mercy and grace. That's what the Spirit is doing. So how do we respond to these two things? Well, we rest in his intercession. If he's interceding for us, we say, that's great. I'm often confused. I'm often vexed. I don't know what to even ask God for. Rest assured, God's working in ways you don't even know to meet those needs. And the Spirit knows what we need. But also, don't let he doesn't want to do all the praying for us. We also respond to him by worshiping by his lead. So let me just ask you, I've already alluded to some of it, but how do we worship by the Holy Spirit? What are some ways, very practically, what are some ways we worship by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, singing psalms, and, and that, is, I mean, it's interesting, it's be filled with the Spirit, and then he says singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in Ephesians 5. So yeah, that responding in worship and song. That's one way we worship by the Spirit. Uh, songs that are consistent uh, expressions of the gospel. Obedience. Yeah, obedience should be. It is worship. Yeah. Like, how do we worship by the Spirit as opposed to worshiping by the flesh? Like, what would that even mean? Disobedience, yeah. Mm -hmm. To give our love and attention to the Spirit, yeah. It seems like to say that we worship by the Spirit or pray in the Spirit means that there could be ways of um, worshiping, like giving kind of the outward form of worship, but the Spirit isn't, isn't leading. There could be a fleshly pretense of worship. Um, one thing very practically is as we're about to worship, we can pray. We try to model this in our opening prayers, but try, praying for the Spirit to work in us to worship God. Like we can pray either our private or public worship, like help me to do this with sincerity, with reverence, with humility, with joy, like, like work in my heart that this would be real worship, the kind that the life-giving spirit means to produce in us. Um, do you ever, yeah, John? Uh, an example, right, is the, the Pharisee and the tax collector praying. Yeah. The Pharisee is praying, look how wonderful I am. Yeah. And for status. Yeah. And the tax collector's yeah, that's a great example of the, of a, a fleshly prayer, right? That's basically a, a, a selfish ambition, it's pride, things like that, versus a, a real humility before the Lord. Yeah, Wes? 
Um, you asked about oh, worshiping in the spirit, yeah. worshiping in the flesh. Yeah. Um, it seems uh, like they would compare to anything else in the flesh versus in the spirit. If you're seeking your desires, mm-hmm. you're in the flesh. If you're seeking God's desires, you're in the spirit. Yeah, that's very good. So we might pray. We might use prayers as a way to try to have our own selfish ambitions and desires met. Um, and that versus an openness to what does God want here in our worship and in our prayer? Um, I think there's a place for in our prayer. And I'm not talking about, again, receiving revelation, but in our prayer, an openness to the spirit leading us in who to pray for, what to pray for, how to pray. Sometimes I'm, I know I should pray and I'm like, who do I even pray for? And it's good to have lists and order and things like that, but also just keep the door open for the spirit to lead you to pray in certain ways. I think that's part of what pray in the spirit means is the spirit would direct. He's producing life in us and he's calling to mind needs and um, shaping what we, this is kind of to Wes's point, what we even want to pray for. What are the kinds of things that I desire when I go to God in prayer? Um, yeah. So yeah, Wilson, I'll let you have the last word. And Just adding to what everyone said, Hebrews talks about entering God's presence with a full assurance. Yeah. Confident in what the high priest has done for us. Yeah. In our own merits and abilities. And yeah. Full assurance in Christ, the mediator. That's a good. Christine, I'll give you the last word. Because I said no to you earlier, so go ahead. <laughs> I was just thinking about, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, um, so, like, I think that Jonah is a great example of quenching the Holy mm. Spirit and doing what God wants him to do. Yeah. forced to do it without the right heart of loving mercy. Yeah. He was evangelizing, mercy. right? Yeah. yeah. And so, but, like, you know, but, like, with us, we can do the same thing. We can be, like, we can be self-righteous or desire mercy to be shown to those that think like us or yeah. <laughs> like us or whatever else yeah. it is, but not um, not otherwise. And so, like, um, just that loving mercy, even as we are doing the right thing, yeah. evangelizing and bringing the, the gospel. That's a really good point. Joan is an example of evangelizing by the flesh and not by the spirit. Yeah, very good. Let's close in prayer. Um, and I'm always open to more interaction if you like afterward. God, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, the, the redemption that's in Christ, that he, the Spirit, applies to us in our objective uh, possession, but also in our subjective experience, in our enjoyment of you. And we pray that we would more and more yield ourselves to his gracious, sanctifying influence so that we would live for you, we would put away sin, we would be filled with assurance and hope because we belong to you as adopted sons and daughters, uh, work mightily in our lives and bear fruit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.